Hey, Team CDA, John Burns here with Tyler Kateski on our routine policy podcast as we walk through these policy one-pagers for the 2021 policy agenda. And this session, we're going to be talking about how to protect American interests with smart and sustainable defense spending. So, Tyler Kateski, tell me about the debt and spending crisis. <laughs> uh, well, it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's a pretty big deal. Unfortunately, you know, in the past couple of years, we've, we've, uh, you know, multiple administrations have just started focusing less on spending, but that doesn't mean that the problem's going away um, or that that's, you know, setting us up for issues long term. Uh, basically, our, our national debt's now well over uh, $27 trillion, and it's going to be, you know, significantly more uh, given all the uh, COVID relief that we've authorized in the meantime. And, you know, policy discussions about uh, what's, you know, appropriate and targeted there aside, we just have to be cognizant of the fact that our spending burdens have uh, gone up significantly and adding to that debt as a result. Yeah, so I mean, we, we spent, just for the record for, for the CVA team, we spent a whopping $6.6 trillion in 2020, in fiscal year 2020, right? And that's one year. That, 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 you know, that includes some COVID spending, but, you know, and, and you know, I, I, I know Republicans out of office like to be deficit hawks and in office, they don't really care anymore, but we now have a democratic administration and we still have COVID. Uh, so 6.6 is probably only going to be a record for another nine months or so, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you know, our, our, uh, our, Defense budgets are, are are such that they're they're you know huge as well in in uh, the upwards of uh, you know seven hundred plus billion dollars you know which is sort of getting uh, nearing like tarp bailout size of uh, defense budgets every year and you know we got to think about this in in a couple of ways like on the one hand obviously we want to make sure that we maintain readiness and a, a force that's modernized and ready to go absolutely you know maintaining our technical edge to to keep us safe on the other hand um you know despite uh despite massively reduced threats uh to our to our homeland um in terms of the ability to you know actually uh, harm america to, in a in a substantial way um you know compared to uh you know terror attacks and things like that which are still serious but less of a threat overall compared to your ussr or something like that um you know ever since the despite the massively reduced threats in that sense after the cold war uh we have had our defense spending you know still basically We've never gone down since our, our sort of 1988-89 or so Cold War peak, that Reagan build-up era, and so it's 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 yeah we're on a, a skyrocketing path. It's really not um, sustainable, and the problem there is that this actually materially harms our ability to defend ourselves long term. So yeah, and, and all spending is is a ratchet, right? defense spending more than any other kind of spending or as much as any other kind of spending is, is a ratchet. And let's just remind our team, you know, the, the harms of, of overspending include, you know, um, 
just the ability to continue to support the defense, right? That that in, in addition, when we overspend and, and borrow, when we, we do deficit spending the way we do, we're actually crowding out private investment, right? We're, we're, we're not allowing the market to operate in a way that actually would, it would increase our economic strength, which would actually allow us to build a, a more resilient and, and more potent military um, and to maintain it in a way that, that, you know, meets challenges of the future, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, when, when the, the amount of debt that we have gets this big, uh, in proportion to the size of our economy. And, uh, you know, the, the Congressional Budget Office this year was basically saying that given all of our COVID spending, on top of just, you know, the massive debt and deficit we had, even in the good times going into this crisis, um, that we're really on track to have like a higher debt to GDP ratio than we've ever had. And that includes in like 1944, 1945, when we're literally fighting a total war for against you know the greatest threat we've ever faced um and so as, as part of the overall spending conversation right like defense is uh if we're talking about making sure that 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 those conditions of prosperity last long term because of the, that crowding out of private investment from too much debt you're talking about defense has to be part of that conversation yeah. because uh while the about 62 percent or so of our our federal spending is what's called mandatory spending um kind of an arbitrary distinction, but basically mandatory refers to stuff like uh, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, those uh, big ticket, uh, you know, entitlements, but basically they're called mandatory because politicians are a lot less likely to touch them, more or less. Um, they still need their own reform. That's a separate conversation for the economic opportunity team. But on uh, discretionary spending, you know, that's still about 38% of the budget and defense is the largest chunk of that. So that's about 16% of our entire federal budget. And so if we talk about making sure that we're, we're it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, our defense spending is a significant part of just making sure our overall federal spending is sustainable, but we also have to look at within the context of our limited defense resources, are we using those wisely? And, you know, unfortunately in a lot of ways, we're really not with um, many of our just foreign policy choices and kind of the also, you know, different things like the acquisition process and, and things like that. Yeah. So to, to kind of put it in real terms for the team, for how it hits, um, how it hits both folks at home here on an everyday basis and how it affects our military. When we talk about just the, the entire suite of war spending that we've had for the past 19 years going on, it'd be 20 years this, this September, right? Uh, six and a half trillion dollars, so, you know, roughly the same as what we spent annually last year, just over the last 20 years on these wars. Um, and that that does things like cost American taxpayers more, right? It's a tax on their mortgage, basically, because higher interest rates cause people to have to pay more for because we're borrowing money to go to war, we have to pay more on things like home loans and car loans, et cetera. Um, on top of that, um, it's not available for domestic infrastructure spending, right? You know, if we were going to borrow money to do things, you know, to rebuild countries, maybe, you know, as people have said, we should have been rebuilding America, not Afghanistan and Iraq. So we could have spent that $6.4 on an infrastructure project that would have upgraded our ports, upgraded bridges, you know, and again, actually done something with federal money that would improve our economy, not just strain it. Is that right? Uh, absolutely. You know, it's, and this is 
not to say that we necessarily support massive spending increases at Correct. home or anything like that, but it's just, you know, any any kind of, of spending comes with an opportunity cost. And, you know, it's what's, what's going to be, uh, you know, more productive for Americans in terms of literally keeping Americans right. safe, you know, our right. bridge is not collapsing more important than maybe building a natural gas station in Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, it's the difference between taking out a home equity line of credit to maybe improve your own home, which may, you know, may or may not be a wise decision versus taking out a home equity line of credit to, to help your neighbor rebuild his house and provide security at his house. Well, you know, it's just never going to pay off the way you want it to. Right. Absolutely. So, and then the other, the, the last thing about that in terms of cost, before we get into what we think Congress should do is, is, you know, you were hinting at it before, but let, let's put a little, you know, rubber where the, where the road is, um, you know, 6.4 trillion over the last, you know, 20 years, $45 billion average annually in Afghanistan. That's all money that, you know, if we didn't put it towards infrastructure, maybe we could have put it towards other defense spending, right? Instead of, instead of you know, you know, all the money that we spend overseas, you know, to, to feed, house troops, send ammunition over there, et cetera, et cetera. We could have been upgrading our forces in other ways. Absolutely. So there's, you know, there, there are a lot of things we could be looking at in this regard so you know one one thing for instance is we've got you know our sort of decade-long plan to to refurbish our ballistic uh missile submarine fleet and basically uh replace them with the newer columbia class submarines and you know basically the the annual cost like you said is about 45 billion to stay in afghanistan um the that would cover half of those subs uh in in one year of afghan uh, afghan war spending and you know that's a a asset that's very strategically important for us long term you know as, as part of our our nuclear deterrent you know but also just super survivable and important in you know competition with countries like china and russia long term you know something that's actually going to uh make a material difference in sort of great power competition and peaceful deterrence to come um, compared to staying, you know, bogged down in a, a faraway Central Asian country that at this point is really peripheral to our interests and gives uh, our enemies, you know, easy chances to attack us. So there's, there's uh, the, and these more modernization trade-offs. More reasons to attack us as well, right? I mean, exactly. You know, so, so what, what, what do we got to do? We've got to put some pressure on Congress, right? What do, what do we want Congress, like what's the positive side? What could, should Congress do before we get into what Congress should not do? And there's plenty of that. So yeah, there, 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 um, there are a lot of uh, uh, things we can call on Congress to do. And, and before I actually, before I get into those uh, specific solutions, there are kind of two major bills that we usually engage on, which are the best points for Congress to do what we want or to avoid not doing what we want. And those are the uh, authorization and appropriations process. So this is just kind of an annual defense budget process that takes place. So actually, you know, this this coming month or so, we should start to expect to see um, the president's, you know, first budget request coming out. And uh, oh boy. In, yeah. It's, <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Uh, buckle up. Yeah. Uh, Watch but, your 401k that day, kids. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so so that that happens at the beginning of the year uh, in the spring, April or May. That's when 
uh, the House Armed Services and Senate Armed Services Committees start to have what are called markups. Um, and that's they sort of determine, you know, what might be in what's called the National Defense Authorization Act. The infamous um, NDAA. Yes. And so uh, the NDAA authorizes, it basically says what uh, the government's allowed to spend on defense. And this is uh, a bill where there's a lot of opportunity for amendments, and it's a great way for, uh, you know, uh, congressmen who and, and senators who, who share our values and might be policy champions to go on the record, um, you know, four different uh, types of policies we might like, especially related to spending when this conversation's in play. And basically, um, through May, June, and then into September, there's um, debates and amendments and then a floor vote on this and then and this is you know the theoretical timeline this year it was delayed because of covid but this is what we normally prepare for is this sort of timeline and then afterwards there's the dod appropriations bill and that's basically saying all right you've been authorized to potentially spend this much here's much here's how much we're actually going to spend so a little bit separate bills but in both of those plenty of opportunities for these amendments that we like so of the things that what what should Congress do given these amendment powers. So first of all, you know, we've alluded to this plenty, but the biggest single thing is just stop funding these endless wars, you know, like our deployment in Afghanistan or Iraq that just aren't crucial. Syria, Somalia, Yemen, apparently American planes were dropping uh, bombs in Iraq again within the last 24 hours yeah. <laughs> of us recording this. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild. So that's, that's one of those things, uh, you know, just from the spending that uh, supports those conflicts alone, that'll go a long way to, um, you know, right sizing our defense spending and freeing up more resources for modernization or other domestic priorities. Um, you know, but then more specifically within the Department of Defense, there's uh, a lot of different things. So overseas contingency operations funds. This is oh, basically- and, and just for the staff, you'll sometimes see, if you're new, sometimes you'll hear us calling these OCO, mm -hmm. over Overseas Contingency Operation Funds. Yes, and so that's basically what that is in theory meant to be is more or less, uh, you know, over and above war spending. Um, beyond the DOD's base budget, you know, what they're normally planning to do each year for just standard acquisitions, maintenance, things like that. Um, so OCO, unfortunately, has become something of a, a slush fund in recent years that's uh, because it was allowed to evade various budget control caps. Um, and, and so unfortunately, it's being abused as a way to avoid uh, types of spending that just should be in the base budget every year and subject to that same oversight. Uh, and it's been uh, basically listed as OCO spending. And so that's that's become widely abused. You wanna see that restricted um, or even that category abolished and just you know have our, our DOD spending subject to the oversight that it should be every year. Um, you know, there are a couple other points too. You know, we've talked about uh, allied burden sharing, you know, and, and, uh, or, or as I like to call it, subsidizing European healthcare. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, making, <laughs> making sure that we're, we're uh, aware of 
how how much our uh, our NATO allies are are spending in comparison so, so, to the size of their their. And just to remind our folks, we typically spend somewhere around four four and a half percent of our gross domestic product on our defense capability annually. Most of our European allies struggle to get to two percent, which is kind right. of what they're supposed to do. Um, so there's there's first of all there's a huge gap in what we're committed to already, and then they're they're usually not even meeting the commitments that they said they would. And these are these are rich Western democracies that aren't spending as much on their defense as we're spending on their defense. Is that a fair they've, way to put it? <laughs> they've got these capabilities for sure. So yeah. and of those, those uh, there's a, a allied burden sharing report that was annually passed uh, every year until interestingly 2003 for some reason, uh, which may or may not have mm. had to do with uh, needing them in a coalition, but I don't, I don't know for sure, but that's something that, you know, it had been longstanding and we could totally bring that back and now is a good time to do that. But there's also, um, you know, things like uh, a, another round of base realignment and closure or BRAC. Um, you know, that's something that uh, the, the Pentagon has itself has been calling for for many years in, in several of uh, President Trump's budget requests as well. Uh, and that's, you know, we, we've got roughly 20% excess base capacity if we're talking about using our existing resources wisely, keeping open bases we don't need is not is not one of those things. Um, and then also there are things like, uh, you know, making sure that Congress avoids certain things, like buying excess equipment. So you know, this past year in the the uh, twenty twenty one National Defense Authorization Act, you know, passed in twenty twenty. Uh, Congress decided to buy 14 more F-35s than the DOD requested. So the Pentagon yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, asked for less. And interestingly, with BRAC and with the buying excess equipment, you know, a lot of that comes down to to the way that, that you know, even it, I think the Pentagon in some ways probably now regrets it, but but previous generations of military leaders spread bases around. And, and if, you know, talking about the 14 F-35s that we, that were, were authorized to buy that, that the Pentagon didn't want, right? Why? Be, well, because the way they built that plane is, is that there's some subcontractor or some component uh, production in almost every congressional district in the country, right? So, so yeah. 14 more, it's certainly in every state, right? 14 more F-35s is millions and millions of dollars into local economies throughout the country. And it, it's, you know, it's true that, that, that it definitely is, uh, you know, a one form of, of investing in local economies. But we, we know also, though, that uh, not crowding out private investment and, and having, you know, the, the market work is a more efficient way of improving these economies, basically. Um, and, and so freeing up, you know, more funds for investment through, you know, not having unsustainable DOD spending is, is a better way to to revitalize communities, you know, letting people pursue the the uh, goals and plans they want to versus kind of a central government plan. But you know, and, and, but with the F thirty five example specifically, it, it's not nothing because you know there are estimates kind of depending on the variant and where they are in the production numbers that those are as much as uh 100 million a piece when it comes down to it depending on who you ask so that's and, uh, and again and again that gets spread around you know that's that's mm -hmm. that's you know that's spread around money that that makes everybody in congress 
you know, not want to say no to another F-35 because somewhere in their district or their buddy's district is, you know, is, is a couple of families working on it. And, you know, and, and, and what we're doing is we're, we're actually, you know, not ad adequately compensating for or, or adjusting for opportunity cost um, and just right. let, letting that local economy kind of figure itself out for we optimization. Right. There's, you know, there are, there are, and there, there are other things that this, this, these uh, productive capacity that we've built around the country could be working on that might be more valuable than another F-35 we don't need. That could be, <laughs> you know, semiconductors for, you know, uh, just consumer laptops, for instance, versus for a jet fighter, right? So there are all kinds of different things that uh, these places can still be doing. So and then the last thing, back to the one, one of the two or three other things that we want Congress to do, the last thing we really want to talk about is, is DOD audit, Pentagon audit, right? Um, Congress should continue to support that, right? We've, we've, this is, you know, I've been with CVA, geez, it'll be uh, nine years this summer. So, uh, so I'm, I'm almost at my decade. Um, but we've been talking about DOD audit since I started back in with CVA back in 2012. And, and, you know, interestingly, back in 2017, they started on the process. Yeah, and you know, this is uh, this is just kind of due diligence, good government. You know, there's no excuse for any any department that has a budget of that size not to be subject to just basic routine oversight. And you know, an audit is just necessary. Um, given the numbers that we're talking about. And we know that uh, I think last year alone, running the budget uh, identified about 700 million in savings. Um, you know, it costs a little bit to be able to run this, but um, invariably the, the savings that they find uh, always outweigh that. And it's just uh, good to kind of maintain that culture of accountability and transparency no matter what, when you're talking about uh, numbers, those big. Yeah, it tears it. It also tears into kind of the 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 you know good government perspective of civilian oversight of the military, right? I mean, right. Absolutely. We, really, we really should be paying attention to what those guys are doing with our cash from the taxpayers. All right, Tyler. Well, I think that wraps it up for for you know the the defense spending piece, uh, folks. Uh, CVA team. Uh, hope that these are helping you as you build towards your office visits and other stuff that we're planning on doing with this policy agendas. Uh, we'll talk to you real soon.